Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Good morning, and I am joined by our friend from the University of Minnesota, Julie Weisenhorn. Good morning to you, Julie. I hope you're nice and cozy. Hey, Denny, I sure am. I've got my cup of tea. I'm sitting here on the microphone and talking to you, so what could be better? Yes, it's it's a great (laughs) place to be inside, for sure. Well, as I always mention, no matter what time of year, no matter what the weather, we always talk lawns and gardens here on CCO Radio. Today is no exception, and we're already, Julie, getting uh, text messages. If you want to call in and ask your question or send a text, it's the same number, 651 989-9226. And Julie will be glad to uh, field those questions for you this hour. And we always tend to get busy, so if you have a question, uh, shoot it to us right now. Again, either by phone or by text. You know, it. we always like to talk about the Arboretum, Julie, no matter what time of year. And I know it's, you know, really dangerously cold in some cases, but there's always something to do at the Ar- Arboretum. I'm always... Uh, thrilled to talk about that because winter, summer, fall, it doesn't make any difference, right? Yeah, absolutely. There are groomed trails for cross-country skiing as well as for snowshoeing and just walking. Uh, There's certainly a lot of winter interest, which is kind of a cool thing to think about this time of year. You're going to be selecting plants coming up this spring that look great in your yard in the in the spring and summer but you got to think about winter too because we have a long period of lots of white and black and gray colors out there and when you look for plants that have excellent winter interest in their form or their bark or their flower um, the dried flower heads you can get a lot more interest and color in your landscape through the winter and it's something to look at when you when you look out the window or when you're out in your backyard so um, the Arboretum is a wonderful place to get ideas for plants year-round. But but if you go out there now, take a look at some of the plants, and they're all labeled. And when something strikes your fancy, take a picture of it with your smartphone and uh, and save that in your file for uh, the upcoming summer for choosing that plant. Yeah, so you'll get some great ideas there for sure. Um, a texter, Julie, says this, a lot of my onions were rotten when I harvested them this year. I suspect it was a fungus what do I do with the soil to get rid of it, is the question. 
Well, there's a number of kinds of rots that can uh, infect onions, and one is called Fusarium basal rot. Uh, there's also Botrytis neck rot and bacterial soft rot. So these are all listed on our page on onions under our vegetable section. And to avoid these diseases, you want to use healthy transplants or sets if you're planting by sets, which are little tiny onions. You want to really manage the weeds in the garden and take a lot of care not to injure the onion bulbs. Just like any plant, if you break the surface of the root or in this case, the bulb, you invite a lot of bacteria from the soil or from uh, water runoff to infect those bulbs. Um, there are resistant varieties too, for example, resistant for Fusarium basal rot. So look for those opportunities to pick maybe a different kind of onion that's a, that's a disease-resistant onion. And then good cultural control practice, practices are important uh, and practice crop rotation too. If you have been growing onions in the same place over and over, and that goes for chives and leeks and shallots and garlic too, they're all in the Allium genus. Uh, then move them around, pick a different place for them to grow. And that can be challenging sometimes in small yards, but crop rotation is one of the best ways to alleviate disease issues. And because you're basically taking the disease host or food source, if you want to think of it, for that bacteria or for that fungus, and you're moving it to somewhere else where that fungus is not located or that, that pathogen is not located. So those are all on our onion uh, webpage on extension.umn.edu and go to uh, the vegetable section and look up vegetables A to Z. Yeah, and, and a perfect time of year when we have these extreme cold temperatures. Get in, stay inside, re, do a lot of reading, yeah. and you can get a lot of information from that website, extension.umn.edu. Just tons of information there. All right, Julie, let's uh, take some phone calls. Jean, I think, is first up from St. Paul. Jean, what is your question for Julie? Well, my question is about impatience. I've been growing them for years. For the past three years, I'll put them in. They come up beautiful. Um, I don't mean come up. They'll transplant beautiful. And then a couple months later, like I'll put them in in May, by about August, they start to get something, and all of a sudden it goes quite fast. And I have them all different places in the yard, and they don't all do it. They just yes. kind, of, kind of thin out and look horrible, sickly. Okay. So at some point, uh, you probably had downy mildew on impatience. And this was a, a, uh, a problem. It's a fungus. And it's a problem that we saw emerge on our usual uh, impatience walleriana. They're the impatience that grow in the shade that we all love to grow. And the issue is that once that once you plant those plants in that area, that fungus is in the soil. And so you need to rotate. You need to move those and not plant your patients in that area for at least a few years. We do have some information on that on our disease section of our website. But it's about, I think, I want to say two or three years that you should not plant impatience in that location. That's why some of your impatience don't have a problem because they're in an area where that, that fungus doesn't exist. But that one place where you're planting it, where they keep, and they just literally dissolve in a few days almost. It's like they drop all their leaves, all their flowers, all their buds, poof, there's nothing left but some uh, measly stems. So um, that is probably like they drop all their leaves, all their flowers, all their buds, poof, there's nothing left but some uh, measly stems. So 
Um, that is probably the issue. So what I'd recommend is that you avoid planting in patients in that location. Look for other shade-tolerant plants that uh, would grow in that location. All right. Julie, we need to take a quick break. Thank you, Gene, for the call. Mike, you're going to be next, so don't go away. Or you can give us a call, too. We have a line open, 651-989-9226. Or send a text, same number, 651-989-9226. Three degrees below zero in the Twin Cities. New readings are in. And I can tell you the wind chill right now here in the Twin Cities is 25 below zero. Three to three below is the air temp here in Newstalk A3OWCCO. Good Saturday morning to you. Three below zero right now in the Twin Cities, a minus 25 on the wind chill chart. Uh, we're in the midst of our smart garden show. Denny Long here along with Julie Weisenhorn from the University of Minnesota. And as usual, Julie, callers, texters, bunch of them. So let's, uh, let's get to it. Um, Mike, we promised Mike and Hudson he'd be next. Thanks, Mike. What is your question, please? Uh, question is regarding pine beetles. My wife and I live on five acre. Five acres and pine beetles have kind of invaded. I've cut down the trees that have died and the ones that I think were infected and peeled the bark off. And I'm wondering if that's, number one, the best way to control that. Does that kill the beetles and the eggs? And uh, number two is how do they move from tree to tree? Oh, boy, there's a great question. Um I am not an expert in pine bark beetles. However, we do have a great web page on that. Um, management strategies that are listed here uh, include um, by thinning trees, which it sounds like you've been doing. That's the one tool that reduces the competition and also lowers the likelihood of bark beetle outbreaks. Um, and red pine is particularly, uh, that that particularly responds well to that. And, uh, Proactive treatments are also a strategy, so you can consider timing your thinning and then kind of other uh, uh, activities during the fall and winter months, so this is the right time to do that. Um, there's also some, uh, if you're in a, if you've got a yard that has that, if you want to uh, move wood away from the trees, so if you have debris or bark that's fallen off or uh, other conifer firewood, so if you have spruce firewood, anything else, if it's around healthy pines, you want to move that away, and uh, you can bring that to an approved wood waste to disposal site to be chipped. So thinning and then removing uh, that wood from the property. And uh, you can definitely keep your plants as healthy as possible. So, so watering trees, that's kind of a, a tricky thing because mature trees don't, re, don't show the wilting and things like that, kind of those signs that we see in other smaller plants but keeping your plants uh, watered during really dry conditions. When a plant is under stress, that is when it is most susceptible. It doesn't matter if it's a pine tree or if it's a daylily. That is when the plant is most susceptible to pests. And pests include insects like the pine bark beetle, but also it includes uh, diseases and other issues like that. So, So I would say thinning is probably the first thing to do. I know the DNR has some information and the Forest Service has information on pine bark beetles as well. And last but not least, you could also contact a certified arborist in your area to come out and take a look and give you some advice 
on maybe how to prevent that. The bark beetles basically just move from tree to tree. So they they move from a, a sickly tree to a healthy tree, but they do attack those sickly trees first, kind of like the low-hanging fruit. Hmm. All right, some good tips there. Thank you. Uh, Cindy is calling in from Andover this morning. Cindy, you're on CCO with Julie. Thank you for taking my call. I love your show. You. Oh, great. Um, um, we, I'm trying to winter over geraniums, and I got a grow light. Um, and I don't know, should I have cut them back? All I'm doing is watering and letting the grow light be on for a lot of hours every day. Okay. Um, so they are growing actively growing under your uh, lamp as a house plant right now. Well, there, there's no, there's no flowers or anything, but they're staying green. I don't know. Yep. Yeah, that's great. They will, uh, they'll continue to do that. You're doing the right thing. Your grow light uh, should be a combination of red and green lights, so kind of a magenta look to it. Uh, the blue lights, in, and a lot of our grow lights now are LEDs or fluorescent lights also work fine. And the blue spectrum is for foliage, and the pink or red color is for budding. So one of the things I would, I would not be too hard on your plants because they're not flowering. Uh, right now, you really want them to just kind of, kind of just grow slowly and, um, and not put out a lot of energy to flower. As soon as you get them outside this spring, they will start to flower. And even probably as our days get even longer, uh, they would also uh, start to flower too. So if they're down in a basement and all you have is the grow light, you maybe want to move them up to a sunny window and, uh, and see if that helps because that's going to add a whole other uh, amount of light to them, of natural light as well. And you can do a combination of both, artificial and also the uh, natural light. So I think it sounds like if they're green and they're looking great, uh, but they're just not flowering, no problem. Just let them, let them be and keep watering them. Sounds like you're doing the right thing. And then as soon as uh, our days get longer, maybe give them a little bit more sun um, and get them outside, they'll start to bud out. All right. Very good. We, we have a text that's asking about lighting as well. Uh, when adding supplemental light for houseplants, Texter says, do you need special plant bulbs or will regular LED bulbs in a lamp directed near the plant suffice? Okay. Well, I just kind of answered that question. I think. Yeah. That, that's why I found it interesting that we, we got another yeah. one. that, um, But LEDs are great. They don't use that much electricity. Right. Uh, but grow lights, we've had some great luck with grow lights, big time. Yeah, exactly. And I think that um, I wanted, this is a great opportunity to point people toward our webpage, Lighting for Indoor Plants and Starting Seeds, because people are starting seeds too. And, uh, and it gives you good information about how plants are affected by too much light or too little light, and then how to choose the right light for your available light. So we have, some people have really great sunny windows. They don't need supplemental light, but other people, most people have kind of medium to low light in their houses. That's one of the big defining factors of getting other, getting plants to bloom is the amount of light that they get. So that webpage, which is, uh, under our houseplant section of our extension site is a really good primer for people uh, to go ahead and get started um, choosing lights. I've got a lot of grow lights in my house and they're not very expensive anymore. That's, that's well, one that's of the good. good things. Yeah. And they seem All to different last. Sizes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's grab a call before we uh, take a break and look at that cold forecast. Ken is calling in from, I believe Egan this morning. Ken, you are on with Julie. Hi. Yeah. I just had a quick question. I was uh, 
out at the Arboretum a week ago and noticed that there's a lot of winter interest, as you call it, black-eyed Susans and stuff that's left out. Do you guys go back through and cut all that down again in the spring, or how do you manage that? Yeah, good question. So that that does get cut down. Kind of depends where it is. Much gets cut down. Uh, usually they, the gardeners do go back through, especially in the gardens that are more formal, kind of around the buildings. They'll go back and they'll they'll tidy that up. But speaking of being tidy, one of our pieces, one of some of our advice from our bee people right now is not to cut those kinds of plants down to the ground. Leave the stems around oh, five to eight inches, and because those stems are hollow, and they're used by stem nesting bees to lay their eggs. And, uh, and so leave those standing, the plants will grow up around them. You'll never see them. And, uh, and then you're creating a habitat for some of our very important native bees that are stem nesting. Mm, what a great idea. All right, Julie, yeah. hang on. We're going to take a break and uh, we'll have a look at that forecast. We have another half hour of the show to go on our Smart Garden Show. You have a question related, call us or text us. Same number, 651 651- Nine eight nine nine two two six. Back with more with Julie here on News Talk eight three zero WCCO. Three degrees below zero. Hey, good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. Denny along here along with Julie Weisenhorn from the University of Minnesota. Julie, somebody wants to know where they can find the Abiders CDs. Oh, <laughs> man, nice they haven't that? forgotten us. No, so of course cool. not. We do not have any. We would. We are the only ones who have them, <laughs> so they can't. They're not. Per, you can't purchase them online, but uh, but you can listen to the music for free on our website, theabiders.net. Well, that's neat. That's good. Yeah. I'm glad. Thank thanks to that listener for uh, Thank sending you. sending that text. I know we have Love callers and we have texters. <laughs> uh, I want to ask you before we grab uh, the caller text about because you and I have talked about this before the Minnesota Plant Series, the online plant series. What's that about? Yeah, so this is something we tried last year. You know, a lot of people, of course, could not come to classes, and we weren't holding in-person classes. So Laura Vogel, who's our adult education manager out at the Arboretum, we kind of all put our heads together, and we came up with a series called the Minnesota Plant Series of of webinars uh, every week in the evening for one hour on a huge array of topics. And we're doing it again this year. They start March 2nd, and they go through May 25th. They're on Tuesday nights from 7 till 8 p.m. And so you're looking at, oh, I don't know, a couple dozen different uh, one-hour-long seminars. It's only 30 bucks to members, and I think it's 40 for uh, non-members. I'm starting it out on March 2nd at 7 to 8 p.m. on House Plant Patrol, and this is about basic care and problem-solving and resources The next one, I'm looking right at the screen right now, growing and repotting orchids, trading in turf grasses, the Arboretum Collections, new perennial movement, cold-loving fruits, you name it. We've got birds and butterflies and lilacs and azaleas, all sorts of things by all different people in the horticulture industry from the University of Minnesota and also from our professionals as well. So we're starting it in March. It goes through May 25th. 
and uh, perfect for getting involved in the uh, spring planting season. And then I believe we're going to be doing it again later in the summer, late summer and early fall. So go to the Arboretum. It's arb.umn.edu. And you can register there under the classes section for adults. I'm going to have you mention that before you leave us today, Julie, for sure. All right, let's get back to the phones and text messages. Uh, Charlie, I think, in Lakeville has been waiting the longest here. Charlie, thank you. What is your question for Julie? Hi, good morning, Denny. Uh, the question is, is that we're talking about grow lights. Where can we get them? Yeah, great question. Uh, you can buy them online. You can purchase them from Brew and Grow locations. Uh, you can, uh, I've, I have no problem when you just Google lighting for indoor plants, and it comes up with all different kinds of lights at all different price points. The important thing to look at is how much space you are going to light. Are you lighting one plant? Are you lighting uh, the a whole slat of plants, which is about 24 inches or so? So you want to choose a light that's going to really cast enough light evenly across that space. And then you also want to look at the size of the plant. So if you're just lighting up an orchid or a couple of orchids, they're pretty small plants. You don't need a really tall light. But if you're going to be lighting, say, a citrus plant, like I used to have that poor Meyer lemon tree that I wah, 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 you know, <laughs> eventually <laughs> succumbed to scale. But I used to ha- I had a floor lamp fixture that had a, um, a big bulb in it. And I would so it could really get over the top of that light. You can also use shop lights, those clamp lights that you use when you need some light in a tight corner of your house. Those work well, too. And you can clamp them to the edge of a table. Um, yeah, there's all different opportunities. So um, go and visit uh, that website. It talks about different types of lamp and l- lights and then factors that you should think about when you're considering or evaluating the light in your home. And uh, for Charlie and others, I uh, think I got mine. Uh, I bought two of them because I happen to have two recessed ceiling fixtures that are pretty close together, so it's perfect, perfect for, you know, like my Meyer lemon tree. But uh, yeah, I think I... Yeah, which is I understand. Yeah, I think... <laughs> I think I got them at a big box store, as a matter of fact. So yeah, they're not—they're not nearly as expensive. As no, they, and if you're no. still just using, you know, ordinary shop ballasts and fluorescent lights, those work fine too. But you don't want to use our incandescent bulbs, or uh, and you really don't need to spend a lot of money on the old time, you know, grow lights that used to be really, really expensive. That LED technology is amazing. It really is. Thank you, Charlie. Let's grab a call from Bobby in Bloomington. Bobby, you're on CCO with uh, Julie. Good morning. Yes, I, first of all, enjoy your show. I'm going to try and be brief. Um, okay. <laughs> I think I must have a perfect window for growing plants because it's like a jungle in my kitchen. Nice. <laughs> I have a hibiscus that I bring in every summer, and for some reason about a month ago, I must have had two or three flowers every day. Lovely. Right now it's not doing anything, but it's just doing very well. Second thing, I bring my geraniums in their pots inside every year. They bloom not a lot, but they bloom all winter long. And thirdly, this is kind of more of an observation. I have a uh, poinsettia from 2019 that I put out wow. in the yard in a pot, and I, it, it's green all summer. I brought it in because it still looked pretty good, and now the leaves are turning red. Oh, nice. That's, that's actually quite the trick because uh, it has to do with lighting. It has to do with the plant has to be in a pretty dark location for most of, you know, for a great percentage of the day, like three quarters of the day and night, and then, uh, and then in the light for the rest of the time. So it's great. That's awesome because you don't hear that very often. Sometimes people get these poinsettias, they bring them 
in after summer and they're just green plants. They never really, those bracts, which are technically around the flowers, never really turn red. So that sounds great, Bobby. Congratulations. Very good. Let's grab some text messages, Julie. Here's one that says, my mandevilla plant has suddenly developed white, spongy-looking matter, especially at all the joints. What is it, and how can I treat it safely inside the house, and will it spread and damage other plants? Oh, you likely have uh, mealybugs. Mealybugs, it could be also cottony scale, but uh, mealybugs are the bane of my existence because I always get them a little bit on some of my plants, usually on one orchid or so. They are uh, sucking insects. If you look at, they, they'll they appear as tiny specks. And those are the nymphs or the young mealybugs. Very hard to see. And it's these larger ones that cluster around and they get this white fuzzy, they have this white fuzzy covering on them. If you look really closely, they look like a trilobite. That's what they always remind me of if you ever looked at fossils and things. But... Um, uh, mealybugs are large, so they're easy to see when they get big like that. But you have to treat them because they move around and they'll move between plants pretty easily. So you want to take the offending plant and set and isolate it. You can put a bag over it and then you can make a little hole in the bag and then a plastic bag and then you can spray your spray into it. That will keep the spray on the plant and not in the rest of your house. And you can do that. I would say do that in a someplace out of the way, not in your kitchen, not near your children's stuff, not near your pets, not where people can get near it. And uh, and then go ahead and let it sit there. Cover that little hole up with a piece of tape and then uh, let it sit there. And uh, and you can use different products. And I would steer you toward our mealy bug page, our pests, managing insect pests on houseplants, which is under our houseplant section on our site because it gives you different options for low-impact pesticides and also for some cultural changes that you could give it. You want to get that plant away from the other plants and inspect it. One spray is not going to do it, likely, especially if you've seen a lot of it. So mealybugs, yeah, they suck the juices out of plants and uh, really get disgusting quickly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this may seem off-topic, but I, let, me, let me ask you, Julia, have you ever been to Canada at all? Yes, I have been to Canada. We uh, spent our honeymoon, Carl and I, in BC. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Wanted to go back, but of course we could not because of COVID. So how about yes. you? Have you been there? Uh, been to Canada a couple of times, uh, and you're, you're in British Columbia is great. Yeah. And the reason I brought this up um, is we we're going to be hosting a oh. uh, CCO Good Neighbor tour a place that I've asked for, <laughs> and they say, okay, you can host it. I've never been to Montreal or Quebec City. Oh, I haven't uh, either. And I hear it's great. It's like Europe, they said, without yep. traveling all that way. So we're going to be doing that uh, September 9th to the 19th, a great uh, a great time nice. of year, and the Canadian Maritimes, too. But the reason I brought it up, because it seems like every CCO tour I take, and we're, we're by the wayside, we get off a motor coach, we're by some garden, the folks will be asking me, Denny, what plant is this? What plant is that? And I said, no, Julie is the expert. I'm just kind of the you traffic should, cop between I the commercials. go along as your advisor. So that's it. That's my point. Let's, and that's what a listener said in a text. Can Julie come with to the Canada trip? And I said, yeah, let's get Julie, Mary, and Teresa. We'll all go. And that would you be can, cool. Uh, yeah, wouldn't it be, though? That's, that's, that, that, I'm going to suggest that to the holiday folks. But anyway. I got uh, September it, open. 
<laughs> okay, good. Well, get on the web, uh, holidayvacations.com, and it's uh, September 9th to the 19th, keyword WCCO Radio. We've already had folks signing up for it, so we're Fantastic. We're, we're that sounds terrific. It. But I love British Columbia, too. Great. Yeah, it's, it's like no other place. Yep, yep. <laughs> I mean, it's just, I, I, it's gorgeous. One Absolutely. of the most amazing things were the provincial parks. They were just beautiful. And I think the uh, the Canadian dollar and ours is doing pretty well for us Great. this time of year, too. Uh, before we break, Julie, uh, a texter wants to know, can I start my peppers in the house now? Peppers take about eight weeks before they're ready to put outside. So you want to hold off till about mid-March. Okay, very good. I, I'm getting waved here a signal that we need to take a quick break here. Okay. We'll do that. We've got callers. We have texters. We'll be back with more Smart Garden Show here on News Talk 830 WCCO. Good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. We are around every Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour here on WCCO. Um, as usual, Julie, we have callers and we have texters. Let's see how many we can help before you take Sounds your leave good. today. Uh, Ken is one of them calling in from Blaine. Ken, uh, thanks for waiting. You're on with Julie. Good morning. Um, I'm thinking about uh, here uh, looking ahead for the spring and early summer uh, about trees. And one of them that I'm thinking about is the pagoda dogwood. Could you uh, give me some information on that? Yeah, the pagoda dogwood is a lovely small understory tree. So that it is our one of our two native dogwoods, um, dogwood trees, and uh, one of those is a um, the pagoda dogwood. We also have um, uh, it's a okay. I'm going to back up here. <laughs> is pagoda dogwood is called Cornus alternifolia, and it is the only dogwood that has alternating branches, meaning that when you look at the stem, the branches are like steps, like they go one and then the next side is up and then a little bit up and a little bit up versus opposite where two branches grow out of across from each other off of the stem. And it gives it a, a kind of a, a kind of an Asiatic style to it. So it's got a really cool form. And that's important to remember with this tree. You don't want to prune it so that you eliminate that nice form. And uh, it is a uh, a plant that grows somewhat in shade, a little bit, not a lot of shade. It does bloom, so you do want to give enough light. But that's one of the nice things about it, because we don't have a lot of small trees that grow well in shade. It is um, really a tremendous plant. It's a great pollinator plant. And uh, we do have, uh, I think, I don't know if there's different cultivars that you might look at, but that would be something to consider when you go to buy that plant is to, uh, you know, ask your nursery or garden center about different cultivars. I don't think, I'm not really sure. There might be a couple different cultivars available. So, yeah, wonderful plant. Yeah, mm-hmm. very good choice. Before we take some text messages, let's uh, grab, I think, one more phone call. Artis is calling from Minneapolis, I believe. Artis, thank you. What is your question for Julie? I think you were talking about a a plant I have. It uh, has the bugs. Okay. And you were talking about a plastic bag. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. How do I treat it? I want to try to save it. Several leaves are damaged. And uh, it says diffused light. I also want to know what does that mean? 
Okay. Where do I put it? Okay, so what plant is it that you it's have? It's one of these. I think you might have been talking about it uh, just recently here, uh, Canada. It looks like a succulent plant. It has green and white leaves, and then there's another thicker leaf that has white blossoms. Okay, it's, I don't. I wasn't talking about any plants called Canada. Were you talking about Hendrix, uh, Canada? No, I was not. Oh, I no. thought I heard. Uh, I thought I we heard were, somebody. We, we were talking about Canada itself. <laughs> yeah, we're the country of Canada of travel. But the issue is, if if you have these insects, first of all, you always want to identify the insects. So I would recommend looking at our website to decide: is this mealybug or is this scale? Uh, and once you figure that out, then um, you can go ahead and choose a product to treat them with. Uh, and, and these are things like horticultural oil or insecticidal soap or neem oil. There's a number of different pre-mixed household products. You can buy them at a garden center. You can purchase them online and they will treat that insect. And you want to be sure that whenever you use a product that the plant you are treating is on the label. So, uh, for example, you would not want to treat something that does not list an edible plant like an herb because you, of course, are consuming this and you could actually harm yourself if you spray this plant with something. But yours is an ornamental. So you want to be sure that that plant is on the label. It might just say house plants or ornamental plants, indoor ornamental plants. So that's fine. The plastic bag I was talking about is just a barrier to to enclose the plant before you spray it so the spray doesn't go all over your counter and you into your air in your house. It's to keep it in the bag around the plant where it belongs. And so it's just putting the plant into that bag, closing it up, cutting a little hole and sticking the nozzle of the sprayer into that hole, spraying, giving it a couple good sprays, slap a piece of tape over that hole or cover it in some way, and then let it sit so that it can get, it, all that mist can get into all the crevices of the plant. And give it a while uh, and, uh, you know, a few hours to dry, then carefully take it out and keep that plant isolated. But the important thing is to identify the pest first. Now, if you don't know what it is, if you look on our site and go, I have no clue, you can take a photo of it as clearly as possible and send it to Ask Extension, and Master Gardeners will help you identify that. Now, you asked about diffused light. Diffused light is light, say, that comes through a curtain, like if you have sheer curtains in a window. It's not direct sunlight. So uh, we call it indirect light is another word for it. So it can be a northern window. It can be a window that is not very bright. It can be a corner that's kind of bright, but not directly light. That doesn't have direct light. So I hope that was helpful. Very good. There's a question from a listener, uh, Julie. Does it matter what uh, temperature the water is when you water the plants? Can it be too cold or too warm and shock the plants? Um, it's hard to shock the plants. Uh, we even There are even uh, recommendations to put ice cubes on, on orchid roots. And, um, I mean, that's as cold as it gets. So uh, I would just let it warm up a little bit. If you, um, you know, tap water is usually not cold enough to hurt plants. 
Uh, it's always good to let tap water sit and warm up to room temperature. It also allows any chlorine that's in the water to dissipate as a gas. Some plants have a little sensitivity to that. So it's, it's pretty hard to, to shock the plants too much. In fact, here's a related one, and I know you've addressed this from time to time. Is it recommended to use distilled water for houseplants, or is tap water okay? It depends on the plant. Some plants are fine with tap water. Um, my amaryllis, I use tap water. I let it sit. I put it on in a pitcher and let it sit for at least 24 hours before I before I water that. Um, but it's um, yeah, it, it, orchids have trouble with tap water, and it's city water. If you have well water, that's not uh, an issue. But city water is treated with a number of different chemicals. Sometimes it's softened, and that can be detrimental to plants like orchids, for example. And uh, and so. I would recommend that if you have orchids or you have plants that are sensitive to, say, fluoride, like a peace lily, is that you use either uh, distilled water. Or I purchase reverse osmosis water at the grocery store if I need to. That's the where you bring the jug and you fill it up. That's called reverse osmosis. It has nothing in it, no minerals, no chemicals, nothing. So then you'll want to put in a little bit of fertilizer just for a dilute fertilizer treatment. Okay, Julie, we have two minutes to go. Let's uh, see if we can. I want to get that uh, website again, what we talked about earlier. But this text says, I have trouble with begonias. I buy them, put them in containers. I put them on the patio, which is on the south, but shaded and out of the wind. They're so beautiful starting out, but invariably they seem to sort of deteriorate over the summer. I've tried different varieties, watering a little or keep them wet. What uh, Keep them more wet. What do you think? Different soil? Maybe some different soil uh, could be also a fertilization issue. Um, begonias are kind of hands-off plants. They actually like it drier than, and it sounds like the, the uh, texture has tried that. Um, I would consider moving them out of the south side. I think it might be too hot for them. They might like a little cooler, so maybe move them if you have a, a, a northern uh, end of, you know, like a area like that or definitely in the shade. Um, but, yeah, that's. That's kind of a trick. Or begonias are easy, but they're they can be tricky too. Hmm. Well, I know we wanted to impart a couple of uh, websites before yes. you leave us. Certainly, the U of M's website, which is extension.umn.edu. Uh, be sure to read our yard and garden news. You can sign up and subscribe to it so that you get an alert every couple of weeks when we've got new information up. And find out if you didn't get your question answered, you can utilize the Ask extension and send pictures and information to Master Gardeners. There's a ton of information that you can read on there, too. And one more thing we mentioned earlier that maybe we wanted to repeat uh, again before you leave. Yeah, the Minnesota Plant Series, a webinar series starting March 2nd, Tuesday night, 7 till 8, on a whole array of different topics. It is an Arboretum-sponsored uh, or offered session uh, goes through May 25th, 30 bucks, I think, to members and a little bit more for non-members. And uh, I am kicking it off on March 2nd with Houseplant Patrol. All right. I love that title, <laughs> Houseplant Patrol. All right, Julie. Well, thanks again. It's always a pleasure. And uh, we'll uh, we'll do this again uh, next week with yeah. you or one of your colleagues. So that'll think be... think about uh, that Canada trip. You might need a help. It's like a a gardener I, to go I'm going to be you. pushing for that. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Julie. Thanks, Jenny. Stay, stay warm. Julie Weisenhorn from the University of Minnesota. Well, I'll tell you what. Get those home improvement questions ready. 
Uh, Andy Lindis will be fielding those from Lindis Construction next hour. I can also tell you we are in the midst of a wind chill advisory uh, in the Twin Cities. We're currently at three below zero. What's the wind chill? Let's see. That's 25 below. We might get up to one below today for a daytime high 17 below tonight. Right now it's a minus three. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 